you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the very latest on COVID-19. It's also the podcast, COVID in L.A., to which you may be listening right now. It's available to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your audio. Joining us as our expert today from UC Irvine School of Medicine, professor of medicine and associate medical director for epidemiology and infection prevention, Dr. Shruti Gohill. Dr. Gohill, so great to have you back with us. Very good day to you. Good day to you, too. Good to be back. Let's start, first of all, about with hospitalizations, because that seems to be what we're focusing much more on with the Omicron surge than total numbers of cases, just because so many people are testing and, and we don't necessarily know how to compare those numbers to earlier on. But hospitalizations are, are a much better metric. But one of the things that we're finding out for in L.A. County, for example, is that apparently two-thirds of the people in the hospital who've tested positive for COVID-19 didn't go to the hospital for COVID symptoms. They were there for something else, were routinely tested and found to be positive for COVID. So what does this suggest for us about any concerns about a surge in hospital admissions from COVID? Yeah, yeah. And this is something that we have um, struggled with from the beginning of the pandemic, actually, is that the um, the way that we test the PCR can be really sensitive uh, and can capture, uh, you know, dead virus as well as live virus. And so if you've had a prior COVID infection, you could flag as positive, even though your infection was done and dealt with, say, a month ago, for example. Um, similarly, so for Omicron, it's just a little bit um, more that now what we're seeing is that uh, we have a vaccinated population. We have people who've had co- the prior COVIDs, then they're also getting breakthrough COVID and mix that all up with the fact that it's more mild disease and people have had delays in their usual care, say COPD and heart attack issues or you know chronic um, diabetes. And so all of that creates this melange of people who then require acute medical care, and maybe the COVID that they have or had was mild, but the other um, chronic conditions become um, uh, out of balance. So yes, we are seeing a change, a shift in the numbers. Hospitalizations have increased, and the number of incidentally found COVID um, positivity has also increased in the proportion of the total positive cases. We're talking with UC Irvine's Dr. Shruti Gohill, and we welcome your questions at 866-893-KPECC. That's 866-893-5722. 
email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. Uh, We have a question that came yesterday. We had so many good ones, we're carrying them over. Nora in Hancock Park said, I had a friend who tested for STDs, came back positive for HIV, Uh, obviously very stressful, but then the doctor called back and told my friend that it was actually negative and that having been vaccinated can result in a false positive on an STD test. And wondering if you've ever heard about that, Dr. Gohill. Oh, gee, no, I've not heard of that cross-reactivity, but everybody should understand one thing about medicine and diagnostic tests. What we're seeing play out for COVID is no different than what we see regularly in um, clinical management and care of patients and diagnostics. All of our diagnostics have a potential false negative, false positive possibility. Uh, Those are rare Uh, often, if it's a good test, it's rare. Uh, HIV tests in particular, depending on the kind that was used, particularly in offices that um, you're trying to do a quick screen on, um, have been, prior to COVID, it's always been true, you do have a false positivity rate that can be, um, it's small, but it's there. And that's why we have a two-step process for HIV. And that's why the doctor was able to catch the fact that uh, eventually, actually, that was a negative test because we start with a screening test. And then if that's positive, we do our a second test. And, and that's how it works um, even before COVID. So that, they shouldn't connect uh, COVID or COVID vaccination with this because uh, that's that's a known problem with the HIV test. All right. Doug and Irvine emailed us, number of people in Orange County feel restaurant dining, even outside, is unwise during the current surge. As a vaccinated and boosted elder, I tend to agree. What are your views about the safety of outdoor dining at this time. And I'm just going to add an addendum uh, to what Doug asked Dr. Gohill, because I, I was just talking with my mother about this. In fact, I've been seeing so many outdoor seating areas wrapped with heavy plastic now to kind of ward off the, the cold nights, but it doesn't <laughs> leave much air. You might as well be indoors if you're in that's an right. quote unquote outside area that's all plasticed in. So your, your thoughts about um, whether eating out is safe. Yeah, pretty pretty classic uh, what you described with the saran wrap around the top. But yeah, you know, listen, it's all about you got to move with the prevalence. So the, has prevalence gone up? Are we surging? Yeah, we're surging. Yeah, we've got a highly infectious uh, virus. Is it time to clamp down? Yeah, time to clamp down, right? I mean, so I think that um, you, you you should take reasonable, you know, um, precautions. This is one of those things where eating out is a luxury. And, um, you know, going to a place that has a nice open area is definitely safer than uh saran wrapped area or um, an indoor area. Yeah, my my feeling is if it truly is outdoors, I I, I do feel comfortable still eating in that environment. But if if it's mm-hmm. closed off, it's 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 just um, you know yeah. uh, in name only. It's not really it's not really outdoors. Eight six six eight nine three KPECC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. We have another question. This actually comes from our newsroom uh, from one of my colleagues. I have the first and second Moderna shots, but haven't been boosted yet. I definitely want to get my booster, but in the meantime, I caught COVID. How long is it advisable to wait, if at all, between being sick with COVID and getting boosted? 
Uh, such an important and good question because we are seeing so many um, people get the Omicron variant. So um, what we say currently is that you ought to, you, you're free to get vaccinated, boosted after you feel well enough to do so. In other words, you have acute COVID right now, you recover, um, and then a couple of weeks later you get your booster. There's no, there's no problem. There's no hard and fast rule that you can't get vaccinated in the setting of, a, of, um, of recent COVID. Tom in Irvine said, I just saw my neighbor on the sidewalk about 15 minutes ago. We were about 15 minutes, of, I'm sorry, 15 feet away just chatting when he told me that he just tested positive for COVID. Now, there wasn't any wind at all, but should I consider myself exposed? He doesn't say what the duration of this uh-huh. was. It sounds like it may have just been a passing exchange from one front yard to the other. Yeah, I love this question because um, we really do have to keep things straight in our heads as to um, so that we can minimize any unnecessary fear or anxiety that goes along with having been associated with any COVID exposure. So really, 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 the criteria are 15 minutes unmasked um, within six feet, you know, where one party at least is unmasked within within uh, six feet for 15 minutes. That's what it means to have been exposed to COVID. Now, a caveat to that can also include, you know, fomites in your hand. We don't talk as much about it in the setting of masking, but it really is true that you can pick up somebody else's respiratory secretions with your hands. So hand hygiene is part of it too. So if you're thinking about the grocery store, et cetera, in this particular exchange, it does not sound like this would qualify as a, as an exposure. And I wouldn't, um, you know, I would be vigilant if it, if you, if your memory of the situation was something like 15 feet, but really you were three feet away, yeah. um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be mindful of those things, but this doesn't sound like exposure. All right. Uh, and, and we have another related question from Paul and Roland Heights who emailed us asking about, cause CDC website says exactly what you just said, the six feet, uh, you know, within six feet for 15 minutes or longer. But Paul wondering, with the more transmissible uh, Omicron variant, is this still a valid rule? Yeah, we've all been wondering that, too. Um, And people have wondered about the transmission mechanism. And um, it seems quite I will say that in the exposure workups that we have done uh, and the contact tracing experience that we have so far in this recent surge with Omicron, it seems quite um, valid to continue with those va- those CDC um, criteria. Look forward to hearing from our listeners at 866-893-KPCC. You can also ask your question at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your location and your first name. And when I say location, you know, Orange County is a huge county. So please tell us the city. We'd appreciate that. L.A. is a huge city. So please, you know, share with us Silver Lake, Los Feliz, uh, Lomita, you know, places that uh, are a little more specific. 866-893-KPCC. So I want to go back to our our opening conversation about um COVID positives for people in the hospital, given that the majority, at least in L.A. County, of those in the hospital who've tested positive for COVID did not enter as COVID patients, does this suggest to you it's highly unlikely we're going to see hospitals overwhelmed with COVID patients coming in with COVID symptoms? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. What we expected was with this variant that that we would see a surge of some kind, that it would be a flatter 
surge for hospitalizations and ICU bed requirements, um, and that what we would be hurting from would be uh, really, um, uh, you know, staffing, 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 staffing. And that's exactly what we're seeing play out in our hospitals nationwide is our staffing. And so this is a more, appears to be playing out that it is a more mild um, illness. And uh, what that's ending up doing is creating problems for, um, uh, you know, staff uh, who become sick and we, we can't have them work and spread any type of uh, disease in our hospitals. And so that results in some type of, um, you know, a disruption in care more than anything else. All right. And just a reminder, next hour on Air Talk, we're going to open the phones and, and hear from you describing in your workplace whether you've seen a significant loss of, of uh, personnel as a result of positive COVID tests, even if people are asymptomatic or, or mildly symptomatic. I want to hear how it's affected your place of work if you have seen an impact from the Omicron surge. That's coming up next hour on Air Talk. Then tomorrow, we're going to specifically specifically focus on the healthcare field and how hard hit it's been by positive COVID tests. I saw my my dentist um, last week and uh, he was just describing, you know, several of his uh, people over the holiday break who tested positive, no symptoms, but obviously can't come in and work because of a positive test. So it's affecting doctor's offices, dental offices, hospitals, of course, urgent care centers. Tomorrow we focus on that on Air Talk. Dr. Gohill, do you know what extent at UCI Medical Center uh, you're down personnel because of positive tests? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not liberty to say, but yes, it's a significant amount. That uh, that's exactly what we've been dealing with over the last several weeks is staffing coming, uh, you know, with positivity. And our biggest goal, and this is something that's happening statewide as well, the, the big conversation is about how do we get healthcare workers back into into work. It is a mild illness, and can we test um, healthcare workers so that we can, if they're negative or you know, resolved with their infection, they're a highly vaccinated community. Um, you know, can they come back and get get in and, and take care of patients uh, at the earliest opportunity? And that is the talk of the town uh, when it comes to hospitals. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it's got to be so frustrating, too, that here, as you said, these staffs have a very high percentage that are fully vaccinated and boosted and testing positive. So in the overwhelming majority of cases, those are asymptomatic or mild symptom infections. Yet they can't work, and um, it's it, it's just obviously a stressor in in medical settings. Eight six six eight nine three KPCC. Let's see. Brian in Temple City wonders: Can you explain uh, the prevalence of long COVID even among those with mild infection? And is there any difference with the Omicron variant? We were talking about this, as I recall, Monday. I think with Doctor Peter Chen Hong, and he was. Um, uh, saying that it, the long COVID, as I recall, ap- appears to be much less of an issue if someone has not had symptoms. But what have you observed, Dr. Gohill? Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it does seem to, long COVID seems to correlate with the severity of the symptoms that you had an onset. So things like Delta, things like, um, uh, you know, the prior, primary 
uh, alpha variant as well. You saw more of uh, of this, and we noticed more of it in mild disease and uh, and vaccinated. Of course, you know, you see a lot less of that. We we've seen that play out for sure. That there's less of this long haul. There's no published data for this um, Omicron long COVID as yet. We're waiting to see that, um, but we would expect it. You know, with the other thing to worth mentioning is that. You know, we talk about long COVID, but it is true that when you get admitted for sepsis from a bacterial, overwhelming bacterial infection, or you get um, influenza <laughs> and you're hospitalized, that's a hit to the system. And you're going to get long whatever. Um, you will take some time to recover. And so those things have not been as well characterized as they have been in this COVID pandemic. Um, but worth noting that 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 severity of symptoms should correlate with um disease. And, and I was also wondering, and, and, and maybe my assumption is completely medically off, but since it appears Omicron does not affect the lungs to the same degree that Delta and previous variants did, it, does that mean then that you get less of that throwing off of the virus into other parts of the body and that in and of itself, being one of the reasons why long COVID is less likely with Omicron. Uh, Larry, you're just right on top of it. Yes, absolutely would expect that the upper airway, so Omicron tends to want to like, it likes the upper airway as opposed to the deep lung parenchyma that that the Delta virus, for example, love to hang out in. And so, yeah, absolutely is less disruptive to the system and um, we can control, our immune system can control it better. And so that's that's always a good sign that you're going to have less some. Um, impact. We're taking your calls at 866-893-KPCC. We continue with Dr. Shruti Gohill, UC Irvine School of Medicine professor, uh, talking with us about COVID-19. Um, let's see. Uh, we've got so many questions. Oh, Linda in Costa Mesa. How long can the virus linger in the air, for example, in an elevator or a small room? Ah, yeah. Uh, we don't think very long at all. Again, this idea of this airborne, um, this airborne idea, you know, at the end of the day, looking backwards, uh, it really hasn't borne out that people who enter a room of a prior occupied individual would, would, we've not seen actual cases linked like that. However, in the setting of a pandemic, in the setting of an Omicron, 70 times more efficient in your airways to replicate, uh, the infectivity is still being worked out for Omicron. I, if you had to ask me amongst all the variants what I would be most concerned about in terms of the, the spectrum of airborne and droplet, Omicron sounds like it could really be a contender for you know, airspace movement. Still believe that droplet, meaning it goes in the air as you, as you cough, and then it, goes, it falls right down within you know, minutes. That is what we all believe most of us who um, work in infection prevention um, believe is the way that this thing is transmitted, that it uh, doesn't hang out too long like tuberculosis and measles, known cases where this material will hang in the air, another person comes in, boom, you can get infected. We haven't seen that play out here. Miranda in Los Angeles emailed us, is there information showing whether mRNA vaccines are equally effective in the overweight or obese compared to normal weight? I've read that in other vaccines, they're less effective in that group, but not with mRNA vaccines. 
We have, yeah, I think that um, the data that I have seen, it was, it's only whatever it was released to the FDA, of course, and um, it doesn't seem that body mass index, uh, this is something that we do look about look at when we dose any type of pharmaceutical, we're wondering whether or not it, the area of distribution of whatever dose we give is sufficient for an individual. Um, it looks like this one uh, is fine uh, and not med- mediated by um KPECC. Uh, You can also email us at atcomments, uh, kpecc.org. Connie and Irvine wondering, what do we know about the effect of Omicron for those with serious pre-existing conditions? Connie says her father is 88 years old and has COPD, so he's fully vaxxed and he's boosted. Um, It doesn't sound like he's immunocompromised but he's got a serious pre-existing condition. So is he someone who, if he gets ill with Omicron, could conceivably have serious complications? Yes. Um, yes, he can. And uh, the idea here is the same principles would apply to any uh, virus, actually. So there are other, you know, whether it's cold flu or RSV, we saw patients pre-pandemic and do see, still see them. Any trigger for patients like that with you know, lung uh, compromise or who are elderly, um, any trigger can put you over the edge on your underlying coexisting condition. So if that's COPD and you get a cold even, suppose, forget COVID for a second, and you get a cold, we, see, we used to see and still see patients coming in with a COPD exacerbation. That's a, a basic principle in medicine, that if you get a trigger, you can get sicker if you have underlying coexisting conditions. Sarah, you know, Arcadia says, my husband's a healthcare worker. He's vaccinated and boosted. A number of his co-workers have tested positive. He's continued to test negative and remained as part of a skeleton crew helping out during the staff shortage. Now his employer is saying that people are safe to come back, even those that are continuing to test positive. We have a three-year-old. I'm worried it might be unsafe for my husband to keep going to work if people return to work and are still testing positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all goes to what test is being used. Remember that our PCR, which is the gold standard COVID test, that can stay positive for up to 90 days. It's, it's, it's really, um, you really have to be in the hands of somebody who understands what tests they're using and when they, so waiting for a return to a, a negative test was something that we all knew in the medical community was not an appropriate thing to do. And that's why the CDC actually put forward guidance based on, um, a symptom and onset of, uh, onset of symptoms or first test positive. And they are saying that you do not need to, uh, worry after five days, depending on, you know, there's always those immunocompromised folks who can shed virus, live virus longer. Um, but they went by symptoms precisely for this reason of chronically testing positive. So that was a really smart choice. I encourage everybody to go to the latest CDC guidance that was released on December 27th on quarantine and isolation and read that because they um, made that decision uh, to mitigate for this problem of um, chronically testing positive. Manny in West Hollywood emailed us, Would it be correct to assume that if you test positive but have no symptoms, that you have a minuscule probability of infecting someone who's vaccinated and wearing a mask? Yeah, that was, you know, that is a fundamental principle of infectious disease that pre-pandemic we all would 
um, would, would, you know, that's how we would assume the body works. The truth is that the data behind that is still pending. And so because in the setting of a pandemic, uh, we don't have hard uh, data to support that, we want to make sure we do everything we can to limit transmission. Um, but yes, you, one would think that if you're less symptomatic, you're coughing less, you're less likely to spew things out. Um, and, and that is precisely the kind of thinking that has led us to, in the setting of Omicron and a vaccinated community and um, a masked community that allows us to return safely with these layered protections. And that is why that's one of the underpinnings of the thinking behind the five-day isolation rule that CDC um, came out with. Another question from Jonathan in Highland Park, who emailed us, can COVID survive in cigarette or cannabis smoke? Uh, And if it does survive the smoke, what is a safe distance to be from a smoker? Oh, man. Yeah. And so so there's there's two things when you're thinking about the um, if it's smoking, you're you're not sharing whatever smoking device or or um, cigarette or or whatever. Obviously, if you're sharing it, you know. COVID can survive um, in whatever fomite that you're um, going to share directly. If you're talking about cigarette smoke per se, in, in the, has anyone looked? No one's looked at it, but common sense would uh, suggest that, um, that if you're acutely infected with uh, the virus, uh, there's going to be some percentage that doesn't make it through the smoke, and there's going to be some percentage that does make it into the air. Um, and the smoke is allowing you to actually see that plume of uh, you know respiratory uh, br- breath in, in the air. Um, and so you would you would assume that that would still you have a risk of transmission. It wouldn't be a zero risk. It it uh, doesn't necessarily sound though like the smoke would cause what whatever is being emitted to travel any farther, would it? Well, insofar as somebody who's smoking. Uh, tends to want to exhale a lot. Oh, good point. Um, Yeah. I I would think maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So it wouldn't be the smoke. It'd be the stronger exhalation to get to get the smoke out of the lungs would be more than just a person walking down the street who wasn't smoking on average. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We have uh, Chara in Pasadena. My daughter has conflicting PCR tests. She did a self-administered one on Monday at school and tested positive. She did one administered by someone else the next day, and the results came back negative. Which one should we trust? Oh, man. Welcome to my world. This is the daily talk. <laughs> minute by minute, every patient that comes in we, you know, or, or healthcare worker or whatever, um, you know, this is what we're struggling with. And um, yeah, and it goes back to this idea that the PCR test is is so amazing. It's super sensitive, highly sensitive and can catch dead or a live virus. So had you had it in the past, it might catch it um, and uh, and you'll flag as positive. But if you're recovering you're three months out, you'll go negative the next day. That is a sign of somebody who what we call, you know, sputtering illness, uh, illness in the past. But um, the caveat to that is somebody who's about to get sick. We see it in both ways. So somebody who's had prior COVID and had recovered and has lingering bits of virus DNA sitting around in their in their airway, that's one possibility. The other is the person who's about to get symptomatic, about to get sick from COVID. They're, and their virus is ramping up in the back of their airway. Um, and then, you know, if you test them again, you know, 24 hours later, boom, they're positive. They were negative the first time, they're positive. So that can be, so both scenarios um, are 
are possible. And that is why you need a physician or somebody to help uh, suss it out and get your, um, get your symptom history, uh, your clinical history on, on what's happening when. Eileen in Venice says, do we know how long certain long COVID symptoms last? I've had a dry cough for a year now that started after I had a mild case of COVID. Oh, um, yeah. There have been reports that long COVID can last from three months to, you know, many months, I think beyond six months. So uh, that has happened, whether or not in this particular case, that's the cause, because it could be you know, upper, you know, most common cause post-nasal drip and, and other things like your indigestion can cause chronic cough on the order of months and months and months without lung disease. So yeah, it can be. And that, that patient should get seen uh, by their primary or, or somebody involved in long COVID diagnoses. We have had cases where some patients have had mild disease disease, but you can see changes in their x-ray a month later, two months later, that suggested that they had prior, you know, so, uh, you know yeah. COVID that affected their lungs. Well, it's interesting with in Eileen's case, because it can be hard to tell, was was this that developed after, after COVID actually because of the COVID? This is like someone having a symptom come after being vaccinated, for example, to determine right. whether the vaccine had anything to do with it or whether it was coincidental. So uh, your advice that Eileen see it, you know, get get her lungs looked at makes a lot of sense to to determine what really is, is going on. Dr. Gohill, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. We appreciate it. We also offer our appreciation to all your colleagues at UCI School of Medicine and UCI Medical Center. We appreciate you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We're talking with Dr. Shruti Gohill, Professor of Medicine and Associate Medical Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention at UCI School of Medicine. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.